The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. There seems to be a miracle drug to tackle obesity. Wegovy is set to be available on the NHS. But how far should health services go in using scarce funding to tackle what some see as lifestyle choices? Should we be saving us from ourselves as opposed to from viruses or inherited conditions? Is it reasonable to put fruit and vegetables on prescription, for example? What's the most ethical, efficient and effective way of keeping us all healthy? The why curve. So you know what? In I've been looking at the numbers. Wouldn't surprise you at all to, to mm-hmm. know that I've looked at statistics. Uh, yep, in 2021, total healthcare costs in Britain accounted for 12.4% of GDP. A year earlier, it was 12%. In 2019, it was 9.9%. So as a proportion ah. of our total economy, that is quite a considerable increase, isn't it? From 9.9% to 12.4% just in the space of, uh, you know, of, of a few years. Now, obviously, pa- the pandemic is, is part of that. That, but that's not dying away any, you know, any in any great speed. Well, we're getting older. We're getting older, and we're getting fatter, and we're getting less healthy. I mean, that, that's the obvious fact, isn't it? Mm, it is, yeah. And uh, we're not looking after ourselves. So, that, so then becomes the question: how how long do you keep on accepting that you've got these increasing costs without saying, well, there's some stuff we're just not going to do anymore. You're going to have to do it yourself or look after yourself because we we just but- can't afford to keep. You know, m- making our own spending decisions based on your bad lifestyle choices. Well, now come on, that's that. This is a very laden, judgment-laden term. Health, health, <laughs> lifestyle choices. You know, I mean, you know, what I'm doing here. End, you know, what I'm well, doing I, here. I know, and I'm just putting a little flag up here and saying, look, you know, I'm I'm not the slimmest person on the planet. I, I admit that, and that's because sometimes I choose to eat things which I shouldn't, and perhaps I don't exercise as much as I should. Yeah. But the fact is, count to five k, right? That's the answer. Well, Do the couch to forget the app. Go for a run. So it'll sort your life out. I think I think the cash to five k rather than couch to five k <laughs> and five k and cash will be nice. But no, it, it, what it comes down to is if people make certain decisions. I mean, it's been true about smoking, of course. This is the mm. other thing. You know, we've, yeah. we've for years spent lots of money looking after people who smoke, uh, and when they get ill, what do you do? Do you just say no? Nope, sorry, your choice. You look after yourself. You can't. Yeah, yeah. So the government expenditure was two hundred and thirty-three billion last year, with a population of sixty-seven point four million. That's about three thousand four hundred and sixty pounds per capita. This is government health costs. We spend more than that on you know other costs. But go back ten years, that per capita cost adjusted for inflation has risen fifteen percent. So, you know, if we did nothing, do we just say, well, okay, it's going to rise by another fifteen percent every ten years? You know, plus we've got the the burden of the extra population increase as well. we are going to hit a ceiling. So the question is, what do we do to compensate for that ceiling? Do we say, well, OK, there's a slice of stuff that we do that could be done through preventative medicine. And who looks after that? Is it your job to do that? Or do we let other services slide? Well, in the end, you're assuming a limited and I guess even shrinking potentially pot out of which all this can come. But mm. if your health rationing, which is what it is we're talking about here, um, where are the priorities? I mean, do you look after the person who maybe has let themselves go, is overweight, smoked all their life, but still has a reasonably good quality of life? Or do you perhaps devote it to a much younger person who perhaps has diabetes? Uh, it's just been something they've got. Uh, and, and you help them through their much longer life when they would then be able to contribute presumably more to the economy. I mean, those are terribly brutal ways of thinking about things. Mm. 
they are. I mean, you know, it's interesting. It doesn't just apply, does it, to to health? I mean, that that's the sort of decision we make. Uh, if you're um, involved in a company that's got big cutbacks in in its staff at the moment, and they're just talking to a guy who's in his seventies, who's one of those people who's going to be let go. And I said, you can sort of see your see their point to an extent. If they're going to stop paying somebody, do they, you know, if they are being the most benevolent, do they let you go? It's not great news for you. Or do they uh, let the guy who's perhaps forty years with young kids and a mortgage go? Uh, and you know. Again, you know, brutal decisions as to where, where where cuts go when you're impacting people's lifestyles. So yeah, but there is a difference between something which is a commercial thing, you know, where people are making decisions essentially based on making money, and where in the end it's to do with our our welfare as human beings. Should we even be putting a price on that, really mm. and truly? But do we? And ultimately, though, the question about how long do we keep people alive for if their lifestyle is not that good? Well, we, who's you know. making the decision about lifestyles? You know, because I mean, there are lots of things mm. people do that you know uh, aren't necessarily just eating too much food and smoking. But they, there are things that you know people who like to go skydiving at weekends. You know, yeah. people make choices in that sort of way. You can't restrict it to one particular thing. Anyway, it's, listen, it's clearly it's a very a complicated vexed issue. Yeah, but we have someone. We have someone who can walk us through it and give us a sense of what it actually means and and what the choices really are. And that's Johan Costafont, who's a professor of health economics at the London School of Economics. And he joins us now. So is there actually sort of a, a maximum level, do you think, where, you know, the, the, it makes sense for governments to invest in health? Is there a point at which you're just spending too much and any extra money is just going to be uh, less effective? And are, are, we, are we at that point? Uh, or are we a long way from it in the UK, do you think? Well, that's, that's a really tough question to ask. I would say... Um well, start, we always start with the tough ones. It gets easier as we go on. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's down to a public choice. So, um, mm. you know, individuals uh, have a choice normally between investing in, in health and other goods. And uh, same applies when the NHS or the government is making uh, choices that, you know, that they would have to choose between investing more in roads and education as opposed to healthcare. So I wouldn't say there is a, a magic number. It boils down to yeah. individuals' preferences. What we know is that we have a fixed income and we cannot invest on everything that we would want, so we have to make tough choices. And, and, and there's the question as well, obviously, about how much of that health expenditure is paid for by the government and how much you pay yourself. So absolutely. I'm looking at some numbers here that says government expenditure on healthcare in 2021 was $233 billion, and that was 83% of all healthcare costs. This is according to the Office of National Statistics. That's gone from 79% before COVID. Obviously, COVID has changed a great deal of this, but to the end of last century, you know, it was down around 76%. So the NHS is now covering more or of our total health costs. Why would that be? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's to do with the fact that the NHS is quite deficient uh, compared to alternative ways of funding healthcare. Uh, uh, so, for instance, uh, uh, the US spends twice as much as, yeah. as as we do in England, per capita, and it yeah. doesn't cover it doesn't actually um, cover the entire population, right? So, it is it is again, it's it's all down to down to a choice. And spending, it should be remembered, it's not really a measure of, 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 of efficiency. I mean, like the fact that, that you're spending very little doesn't mean that, that, uh, that, that, that you're more efficient or that you're spending or the fact that you spend a lot. Uh, means that that uh, that you are less efficient, right? So yeah, I was going to pick up yeah. on that because, it, as you say, efficiency is is kind of what people want, and it's a hard thing to measure, I suppose, whether it's in good life years that people have as a result of the money you spend, that kind of thing. I mean, what's the what's the best 
way to measure that efficiency. Yeah, because the figure right. you gave about twice as much being spent in the United States, I mean, they've actually got a lower life expectancy than we have in the UK for exactly, all, that, for all exactly. that money. Exactly. So so health economists tend to talk about cost effectiveness. So we take to, we, we, we use a measure of health that uh, boils down to compressing quality and quantity of life altogether, which we call a quality. And uh, we tend to evaluate different uh, healthcare technologies and programs in terms of cost effectiveness, in terms of cost per quality, right? And and that's how nice the National Institute of Clinical Excellence in Britain, for instance, make choices. I mean, that yeah, the point just, is just that... Just break down that quality for a moment. It's yeah. quality is what you call it. Right. What, what, what is one quality? What, what does that constitute? It's a one year of life adjusted by by quality of life, right? So you are compressing two dimensions, the, the, the two dimensions of health, a qualitative dimension and a quantitative dimension, right? Uh, and it's just a measure of health that has been developed in the last 40 to 50 years, uh, mostly pushed here in Britain, but now adopted across the world as a, as a, as a standard uh, against which to evaluate different health programs. Right. So if you had that decision as to whether you helped somebody live and at the expense of somebody else, you'd exactly. use that quality measure because you'd say, well, this person might not live as long, but they're going to have a better quality life than this person who might live a little bit longer but have a poorer quality of life. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Although you would have to take into account other considerations like social value, et cetera, et cetera. Normally, you know, governments, health technology agencies, when they make recommendations, they take into account uh, a number of, the, of dimensions besides the cost effectiveness of a, of a program. Right. right. So right. does that is that the ultimate measure then for the if you were you know trying to measure the the benefit of the health service you'd sort of add up all these qualities and say well for the amount we're spending are we getting a better quality score at the end of the day and, and exactly say, so are we well uh, so at least in Britain we have an institute that measures uh, the cost effectiveness of every program so what what we know is that, is that compared to other countries that don't do that uh, at least we care about the value for money that the nhs is mm. is actually producing so the nhs is a huge financial crisis but despite that we are one of the front runners in the world uh in terms of like uh computing the value for money in terms of computing the, the value of the of the health system but but a lot of this is subjective, though, isn't it? Because, you know, you, you talk about a quality. Well, it's the quality of life. But what does that mean? OK, there's the amount of time. We get that. That's an objective mm -hmm. thing. You have, you know, 20 more years of life. But how on earth do you know what the quality of that life is in, in, in ideas that we can all share? I mean, some people might say, well, living in a nice care home, uh, well looked after is good. Other people might say, no, that's awful. It's much better to be living at home. So it's very subjective, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, there's been like more than 40, 50 years of, of research, again, on quality of life done mostly by cognitive uh, psychologists. They look at issues like pain, uh, stress, I mean, different dimensions of quality of life. I mean, there's five dimensions in some measures or 20 in others. So the idea is that they look at different dimensions of what is a quality of life. Uh, and those dimensions are country specific. So those indexes of quality of life are very much country specific. Uh, and, and based on that, they compute a quality. Uh, this, this, of course, is a result of surveys that need to be updated. A bit like when we measure inflation, right? The basket of goods needs to be updated. The same applies to, to, to quality of life. They are indicators that need to be updated. And we believe in them as we believe that there is a rise in inflation in the economy. So do you, so we are getting better at that then. If we were to look at the amount of money that we're spending on the National Health Service and relating that to the quality, uh, then we're getting a better result now than we have in the past? 
Right. I mean, I, I don't think again. This is something we could we could simply answer that way. But what we know is that at least we are we are looking at the value for money, right? right? So we we are looking at how much, let's say, that extra spending brings in terms of uh, quality adjusted life years or other indicators, other measures of health. Another important dimension there is not just the the efficiency but equity. Right. So in Britain, the NHS tries to uh, strike different goals. One is to maximize the health of the population, and the other is to make sure that the differences in health across the population are are, are the lowest possible. Yeah, right? so- and that's a, that's another interesting question. But on on the idea of you know, can we spend more to get more efficiency? Uh, I mean, it looks like there is groom for us to spend more if we look on a on a global scale even though we sort of think that we you know we're the, the the nhs is costing us a fortune it's a breaking point we really can't spend any more i'm looking at so again some numbers uh based on international dollars uh the healthcare expenditure per capita in the uk these are world bank world bank data for 2020 4670 for the uk were similar to france canada australia and the netherlands by this measure and the average actually of all high income countries but compare that to, for example, five and a half thousand in Germany and six thousand four hundred for Norway. We're well below, and this is based on purchasing parity. So they yeah. are spending a great deal more on their healthcare yeah. systems than we are. But exactly. do they get better outcomes? That's the point. It's very hard. I mean, the, you know, you, one could look at the correlation between some measures of outcome and and health spending, and actually, when one does that, you'll see that the, the correlations are very low. Uh, I mean, spending more doesn't necessarily bring more health. We know these days, uh, actually we've known for a while, that health is very sensitive to social determinants. So it's much more important, for instance, uh, to make sure that we adjust to le- healthy lifestyles the, uh, than, than, than to spend more on, 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 on health care if we want to improve the health of, of the population or, or to reduce... Reduce noise, improve the transport system. But, but, right. but also, I mean, you just mentioned the thing in a way that I think is at the centre of this, which is the healthy lifestyle. Because you, know, you talked about, obviously, you know, p- helping people in certain ways for the quality of life, measuring that thing in qualities. But what about that element of equity you're talking about in terms of people's choices? Because if someone is very overweight, they smoke uh, and they don't take exercise, is there a sense that putting more care, which is what you'd have to do to keep them at a reasonable level of health, that that is A, effective, and B, I suppose, even even ethical. Well, that opens, again, a, a huge debate, uh, a huge ethical debate. No? But I, I would say um, our preferences when it comes to healthcare are very much determined by our backgrounds. Right? So we know that uh, people from uh, social uh, lower socioeconomic backgrounds are more likely to smoke, are more likely to be obese, are more likely to, to not necessarily to drink. Drink is actually alcohol is one of the few uh, health behaviors that we see the opposite pattern that is actually uh, more wealthy people that, that overuse alcohol. Uh, but generally speaking, what we see is a, a clear socioeconomic uh, driver, right? Uh, preferences are, are the result of the environment in which we are. Uh, growing in and uh, so for instance in in Britain uh, obesity is very close to 28% of the population in England particularly uh, so that that uh, it is something that cannot simply be down to people's choices nobody really wants to be obese right but they do um, they do have a choice you know, to do something about it though don't they and i understand that you know the circum it's it's very easy to say well you know that as i just said to roger you know get the couch to 5k app get out and start running roger uh, it's uh, it's it's not so easy for some people to to do that for, for a whole myriad of reasons no that's but there true. has to be an element there has to be an element doesn't that of saying you've you, in, in some of this you do 
have to take responsibility. And look, the, the reason why we wanted to talk to you actually fundamentally was because of this, all the news about the, uh, you know, the, the diet pill that is going to make people lose weight. Well, it's, it's an injection. It's a Wegovi injection, which is now going to be available on the NHS. Yes, it's, um... I suppose the question is, is that a good use of resources? Right. So, I mean, uh, there's different questions here. One is this, this particular uh, uh, vac- uh, vaccine, I think it is, uh, which it seems to be uh, be able to reduce weight by 10%. I mean, obviously, it is a huge problem in Britain. It's uh, a cause of a uh, uh, significant share of uh, non-communicable diseases, hospitalizations. So we are going to save some NHS money by investing on 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 something that that reduces the weight of the population. And it seems to be that this this product has been deemed as cost effective by by the National Institute of, uh, of Clinical Excellence. Uh, and, and it's actually not a substitute for traditional treatment. So you can still run and take the, and take the, this, this, this jab, right? So it's, it's not, it's not uh, necessarily a substitute, it's more of a complement. But just going back to the, to, to the point before about whether it's a choice or not to be obese, I mean, here the, the point is that individuals, we don't all have the same time constraints. I mean, some of us have a, uh, are more privileged. We have we we enjoy better incomes, and we can have access to to types of uh, health behaviors that 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 others don't. Uh, time constraints are very different across individuals. Uh, so inequality, deprivation is correlated with uh, mental health. So individuals that are suffering from mental conditions are more likely to be to be obese. Um, so I, I would say uh, we know that uh, that uh, socioeconomic conditions affect. The system of cognitive rewards. Uh, so some of some individuals, when they have some some misfortune in their life, they end up uh, indulging in food as a result, or in or in alcohol, or in in uh, in this kind of um, behaviors because they, they they provide some neurobiological uh, benefits to them, right? Uh, so the social environment, that's the the obesogenic environment, the social environment that 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 leads people to be obese is actually far more important than people's preferences. Just to say that people are always out of preference, this is, this is, I think, not very accurate. Yeah, and I wonder also whether, you know, when you go for a run, whether the response you get to that or, you know, the endorphins that kick in when you do a lot of exercise, whether that's different for some people. So some people, it's a no-brainer. They keep doing it because the response is so great. And for other people, well, they're not really feeling it so much. It's all just a lot of effort for them. Absolutely. We can can move it away from from the moral idea of, you know, almost a Victorian idea that, you know, you, you deserve or you don't deserve help. But, Yuan, in the end, if you are helping someone, if you are trying to make someone well and they... They are still actively doing the things that are making them unwell. Is that a realistic use, purely in economic terms, purely in your mm-hmm. qualities, I suppose, of the resources we've got? Right. So that, I think that if, they, if, if you're helping them and they continue doing the same, it means that you're not very effective at helping them. Right. So that means that you need to reconsider the ways of helping them. Uh, one one w- type of policies that now are being put forward are policies that use behavioral economics, that use uh, reminders. And we know that, for instance, we tend to have short memories, that uh, when we are prescribed a pill, we tend to forget it. Uh, after a while, uh, exercise the first two days uh, after ma- making a, a commitment, you know, we, we, we do keep up with that commitment, but but uh, a week into it, then we, we end up forgetting. So, so we need actually to uh, make better policies uh, for real people, people that make 
all sorts of mistakes. So what we cannot assume is the, the, the so let's say, mainstream sort of recommendations from the past where we assume that people are rational, right? So that they respond immediately to any tax incentive or, or any change in prices. You know, we live, we live in, 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 in context where actually uh, acting rationally is very difficult. So it's, it's what you call the nudge, uh, they used to call exactly. nudging, isn't it? Exactly. Putting things in a way exactly. that make it easy for people to do the right thing. Precisely. And there's different ways of doing that. Uh, we could nudge, for instance, influencers. So there is, these days, the nudge agenda has evolved to the point that there's different ways to make sure that individuals actually stay committed to their promises. Most people don't want to be obese. If, if, if you're obese, often is the consequence of bad choices or poor choices that are the result of environments that, that people have not chosen in the first place. But uh, if, I mean, money is a factor in all of this as well. So yeah. if, if, you, if you believe that you've got access to free healthcare. I mean, is, there, is it a case that you might not look after yourself quite so much if you know, well, I can always rely on the NHS. So, for, and therefore, oh, you know, if I'm putting on a bit of extra weight, I enjoy a good meal. I'll just have a few more of those because I get this wonder weight loss injection from the NHS. So if you make stuff free and the service is always there and you're not paying for any element of it, so there's no investment in your part, no financial investment yeah. in your part, isn't there a danger that you are just going to keep on pushing on that NHS resource and it's just going to become a bigger percentage year by year on the you know total GDP for the country. Yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is an idea that sounds ra rational when expressed this way, but but actually we don't find any evidence of this. I mean, we, we've looked at insurance expansions across the world and the effect of insurance expansions on obesity is not significant. So people don't necessarily want to be obese. Uh, it is a disaster for them to be obese because it doesn't feel good. Uh, they, they end up using healthcare much more. Most people don't have, don't take any pleasure in, in taking medicines and, 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 and seeing, and, you know, seeing the doctor. So I, I would, I would say that, that although this could be, a, you know, the way that some people think, uh, I would say the majority doesn't think that way. So what do you, have, you got a, have you got a theory as to why we are getting bigger? So in 1993, the average weight, the mean weight mm -hmm. of a man yeah. was 79 kilos. And in 2021, it was 85 kilos. So that's, it's gone up 8% in terms of our, you know, body weight in, what's that, in less than, in less than, well, uh, less than 30 years anyway. So, I mean, that seems quite extreme, doesn't it? I, I agree. And uh, I mean, that, that's part of my research. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I have a theory myself, which is to do with, uh, Basically, it's a consequence of a misadaptation to a, to a modern economy, right? So, uh, uh, you know, capitalism produces or modern market economies produce inequalities, and that's inevitable. Uh, and that produces some people left behind. Uh, and, uh, and on top of that, we have individuals that are like time poor, that uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, they're, 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 um, they're you know, that they are blue collar workers. They need to be, let's say, uh, in, in, in their jobs at a particular time. And, uh, and they don't have time to, to exercise or going for a run, uh, et cetera. And, uh, and then on top of that, we know that there is a very strong correlation. And I would say even causal, uh, we've done some work looking at lottery winners, uh, a strong, let's say, effect of income on obesity. So individuals, when they have higher incomes or when they win a, a lottery, uh, the consequence of that is that they, they tend to lose weight after a few a few uh, months. 
But but Yuan, all these all these things have happened before. I mean, when you talked about people not having time to exercise, that would have been true 40, 50, 60 years ago. It would also have been true that people who had more money were able to do the things you're saying. I mean, why has it changed? Well, I mean, time time poverty has gone much worse uh, in the in, in the in the last three decades. Uh, I would say if you look at, for instance. Um, time use over time, you'll see that in the past, people would stop for lunch uh, and have like longer, longer uh, times uh, for that. They would sleep uh, longer. Uh, there's actually, even when it comes to sleeping, for instance, which is very well connected to, very well associated to obesity, we know that uh, sleep time is actually declining. And, and that is very much uh, the consequence of 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 the of of the adoption of this modern, let's say, lifestyle. Um, I mean, our brain is is very much uh, what we can call a primitive brain. It follows basically the same rationale than 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 humans, uh, like a few centuries or or or, or uh, you know, you know. Even even longer ago, uh, whilst whilst uh, our actions, uh, our environment is very different from 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 the, the human, the, the one that humans would have faced back in time. So in, in that respect, I think that that um, uh, there's been like a number of changes. Globalization, you could name uh, you could name it in a, in, in a very simple way, uh, has actually brought uh, as a consequence, as a side effect this obesity epidemic. So we're a long way, aren't we, from one John Maynard, John Maynard Keynes predicted almost 100 years ago that by now we'd be down to working 15 hours a week and all these, these problems presumably would go away if that was the case. But also, if we're in countries where you've got less of a, a discrepancy in income, does it necessarily follow, though, that then that those countries have less of an issue with uh, with weight and all these other symptoms of uh, of poor health that go with with lower incomes? So, is I mean, in other words, is the answer to uh, extended uh, healthcare costs to actually try and fix the income diversity in the country? Well, in- income inequality, exactly. So, what we see is that in lower income countries, obesity is, is rising now. I mean, besides, let's say, Anglo-Saxon con- countries that you know, uh, would fall into sort of the Anglo-Saxon world uh, plus Mexico. The the countries with the highest obesity uh, rates are uh, are all in the Middle East. So Turkey, um, um, Jordan, uh, Egypt, right? Uh, so the, those are countries with high inequalities. And interestingly, in those countries, what we see is that most of these people are women. Uh, so unlike in Britain, where actually inequalities in obesity are more or less uh, absent. I mean, the obesity is more or less the same across genders. In in the Middle East, is is actually clearly a female problem, and across the world, women are more likely to be obese than men. Uh, so I would say inequality would be an issue there. There is a lot that we need to understand about the epigenetics of of of, of obesity of. The, the obesity phenomenon. So there is a, com- a genetic component that, of course, cannot explain the, 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 the obesity epidemic in the last 30 years, but the epigenetic effects, so how the genes express themselves as a result of environmental changes, that's something we still don't know enough, and it could it could explain at least partially uh, what we are observing. So, so Ewan, we've got we've got this picture you're drawing that that actually what's going on in terms of the threats to our health are these very big issues to do with the economy, to do with equality, perhaps. So, should with scarce health resources, rather than spending them on on, on perhaps giving people weight loss drugs, should more resources then be put into some somehow socially engineering us and nudging us into better health practices? Well, I, I, I'm not sure. I would I would call it socially engineering us, but it's true that that we should do something uh, for those that uh, are going to make bad 
poor choices in the in the days to come or in the years to come, right? But so so there is a policy in the long term which which has to do with social determinants of health, right? So reducing inequality that's not something you do in one day, right? So it takes it takes uh, a while to do that and developing let's say uh, healthy lifestyles. Uh, but in the short term, unfortunately, we are stuck with what we have. We have a country, uh, England, 28% is obese, 36% overweight, right? So almost, um, you know, two thirds of the population has a, a problem with weight. And, uh, and and we need to solve that. Right? We need we need to 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 do something about it because otherwise it's actually increasing our our, our NHS costs, which uh, at this time of of, of uh, the country is, is quite it's 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 quite a problem because we are facing a, a funding crisis, right? So I, I would say. Uh, we should come. I mean, if I if I was to sort of uh, make a policy recommendation, I would come. I would suggest combining long-term policies, which are to do with social determinants, and short-term policies that have a lot to do, to to do with you know changing the choice architecture, that this nudge agenda that you are discussing, as well as you know using the taxes, of course. I mean, if we want people, uh, for instance, uh, to walk and not to drive, why don't we increase the road tax? Uh, right. Uh, so because it, these days people are using, it's true that they are using less the car, but still uh, transport is, I mean, you know, mechanical transport is, 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 is very, is very, very important yeah. in most, in most parts of the country. Sadly, the, sadly the answer to that question is because it's political suicide, it seems, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the cost true. of driving. Yes. So look, the, the, we've got the case in, uh, I, I think this is happening in various places, but Lambeth is an example where the local council, the local authorities are basically offering uh, vouchers for people on low income for basically fruit and veg. It's almost like fruit and veg on prescription. So is that the sort of, is at that low Local scale is that a step in the in the right direction, or is it is it sort of like a stopgap measure that that it, it's going to be hard to change behaviours? I mean, how much of that behaviour of you know, and I'm I'm probably make, make, I'm dangerously dangerous ground here by casting allegations, but you know, uh, eating lots of chips, whether it's uh, you know potato chips or packets of crisps. I mean, I think, I think you, you have a strange view of the world, Phil. I'm <laughs> well, not no, sure it works just, quite like well, that. Well, maybe not. But if you, I, I guess the question is: Are people eating less fruit and veg because they can't afford it, or is it because just it's their upbringing and it's been passed down from generation to generation? That's, that's a, an interesting question. I would say it's a bit of both. Uh, we know that uh, you know when it comes to diet, uh, preferences are formed uh, intergenerationally. Uh, so the role, in fact. For, uh, Many studies looking at child obesity. What they find is that uh, parental transmission is is actually one of the the reasons why why children are obese. Uh, so the 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 cultural environment, uh, role models, reference points, those are very important. So I would say interventions to cut down, for instance, on child obesity, uh, require uh, having parents involved as well in those interventions. Uh, so when you are pro you know providing a voucher, um, you might actually on the margin encourage people to consume more fruits and veggies maybe if you're lucky if you make them if that voucher is conditional only on 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 individuals consuming foods and vegetables um but but still uh, i i doubt it would fix the problem uh, the, you know mm. uh, in income transfers would just uh, alleviate constraints 
So I'm but, not sure but, how but, we are fixing the problem. There. So, I mean, the one thing that has been very clear, and you're not the first person who said this, because we've sort of asked the same mm-hmm. question maybe a year ago in a slightly different way. But if we, uh, you know, are we, is, is the way forward just to spend more on the health service? And you, you made the point earlier, which I'd heard before, that actually... A publicly funded health system is the most efficient way yes. of, of uh, looking after the, na- the, the nation's health. But all of these ongoing issues, which are just getting worse. I mean, if we, you know, if we added another eight kilos in the next 20 years, you know, we, we're, we're getting bigger and bigger. And we've all seen those photos from the 60s and 70s when everyone looked very slim and healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you compare it with, the, you know, how we all look today. Well, I mean, if that just gets worse and worse, then the, the situation, the costs all just escalates to a point where... It is going to reach a breaking point, isn't it? And if it, well, because we don't have the, the massive numbers of resources to do these kind of things, you know, there are lots of things that would be nice to do. It'd be nice to change society. It'd be nice to change the way that parents hand down ideas of how to eat. These are all nice to have. But but you know, as a health economist, what is it we can do with the resources we have that would actually make a difference? I mean, I, I would say obviously in the end, this is an expression of a misadaptation to to globalization, as I said before. Uh, and, and, and when I say misadaptation, I mean uh, lack of adaptation uh, to the, the, the challenges that globalization brings. Globalization brings inequality, for instance, right, or poverty, right? Uh, so what we could do is try to work on alleviating the, the, the other causes of, of, of the obesity epidemic, which have to do with poverty, inequality, uh, and on... On, on, on a long-term basis. And in the short term, all we can do really is just help individuals making the right choice. Uh, and of course, we cannot force people. We cannot, we are in, we're a liberal democracy, so we cannot just uh, uh, force people to, to, to go for the healthy option, right? But we could make it as easy as possible and as costly, and, and we can make the unhealthy options as costly as uh, as possible, right? So so we could use taxes and you, we could use, uh, uh, you know, regulation so that the social environment is as least uh, obesogenic as possible. Right, so and, like uh, a sugar tax, the, the idea of the sugar tax, for example. Sugar tax, yeah, although sugar taxes don't seem to do much. Uh, yeah, and they're they hugely unpopular. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's been a big and pushback about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so one, one would like to, one would have to be a bit more creative there. I mean, I have some ideas of my own, but I, I would say... Uh, here is one of those areas where uh, um, interventions should uh, should should happen at the you know in different in different fronts. So we should encourage people to exercise both actively and passively. So you know people to walk uh, rather than taking the tube. Perhaps we should reduce the number of uh, tube stops in in, in London. Uh, <laughs> you know, etc. Cetera, et cetera. That, that, so really gonna, yeah, I mean, I can see that going down so well at the polls, <laughs> can't you? Absolutely. But uh, some, I mean, the, the, the question is. You know, uh, is the country aware that actually not making those interventions is going to 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 increase obesity and then, as a result, increase health health spending uh, and uh, and therefore their taxes. So most people, because those effects happen in the long term, tend to be short sighted. They tend to be present bias, and they don't really take um, on board uh, those those knock on effects. So perhaps uh, we should do a better role. Politicians should do a better a better job at informing people of the consequences of the default. 
I mean, m- most human beings, they, we don't like change. Uh, so, so tanks does seem like a sensible way, though, doesn't it? So I've got this, I mean, my, my wristwatch is a little bit annoying. If I haven't done 10,000 steps, it goes a bit crazy and starts vibrating until I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that idea that we all do, you know, that number of steps every day would be a, a, a good, well, if you're able to, would be a good well, aim. Well, most people can't afford that, a watch like you've got. That's the problem. No, well, no, but <laughs> that's what, okay. But I mean, the point is that if you, if the aim is that you, you all are doing doing that sort of amount of exercise, which, yeah, might be walking to a tube. So he might actually be saying, well, look, you know, we've got to get more people onto public transport because you've still got to walk to the bus stop or you've still got to walk down to the tube. And so that's better than the walk to your car, which is nothing at all, obviously. Exactly. And most people don't know uh, that that's what they need to do. I mean, or... or they, they, they are not reminded at that time because I mean most people have inform- we have information from the media but that doesn't mean that that information changes our behavior we need to be reminded at the right time and that's why all these behavioral interventions are effective but I, I can imagine people just screaming and saying look this is all very well you know le- yes it'd be lovely to, to change this policy and that policy and all the rest of it but actually the resources that we have should go on things like getting a cure for diabetes and working better to try and sort out cancer trying to stop and another outbreak of COVID. All this stuff about an, an lifestyle is is simply or should be simply almost irrelevant because we need, there are far more important things to get those qualities you're talking about, Yuan, yeah. by doing those absolutely basic medical things. It's the classical trade-off between care, uh, sorry, or between prevention and cure, right? So you can either uh, prevent uh, some event to happen or cure uh the consequence of of that event when 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 something happens. Of course, there is an industry there that is interested in in us uh, being sick. And in fact, the healthcare system often is called uh, an illness system because the the you know uh, the, the, there is there are some vested interests that make money out of uh, us uh, being sick and sick and needing uh, medicines. Uh, they make money out of us eating too much or 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 drinking alcohol. Uh, so I, I would say that. There are different lobbies there that are not particularly interested on 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 us doing very well. Uh, so that that is something that needs to be taken into account as well. So on the on the prevention side, just as a final question, I mean, yeah, not everyone can afford a Fitbit. They are coming down in price, mind you. But you know, for a lot yeah. of people, I can see it's an expense. But once you've once you've got that level of engagement, actually, you do take more interest in your own health because you've got a few facts and figures to. Back it up. Now, I don't realize not everybody's exactly. the same as me and is quite so fascinated by the numbers, but mm-hmm. actually getting aware of where you are and how you're performing and what your health situation is on a day to day basis could change behavior. And if people can't afford it, maybe technology is mm-hmm. part of the answer and the government should be stepping up to, to meet some of those costs for people. I would agree with that. I think that technology is part of the answer. It can reduce the costs of uh, of care within the health system. And the digitalization of of the health system is one of the challenges that now the NHS is going through. Uh, but I think that it boils down as well. It, it does. It does go. It, it is going to a change the the way we prevent uh, certain conditions. Um, uh, we need to have access to high quality uh, personalized information which we don't uh, now we know the, the number of steps but i think that we should we shouldn't have much more information than just that right so we could know how well we slept uh, how many calories we've we've eaten uh, so the technology what, a, there, what our resting heart rate is and stuff like that for exactly there we are. exactly uh, and and the, the the information is there and uh, the question is how to organize it in order to help individuals make make choices that are more aligned with their 
uh, true preferences because most people don't want to be obese and most people want to be healthy. So if they but aren't, it's not yeah. out of choice. People don't choose to be to be unwell. But, but also, I wonder if they know actually what situation they're in. I mean, there's, you know, people, I mean, we, we get larger, don't we? And we don't realize. In fact, the, it was a revelation. I mean, I was going down that road. So was Roger until we had a publicity photograph taken for this podcast. And we both looked at, <laughs> we looked at ourselves and said, my God, are we really that big? Yes. Uh, see, and, there we are. Health, health policy go. in action. Yeah, yeah. I lost so 50. I lost more, 15. more people being photographed. That's what we need. <laughs> that's the answer. I lost 15 kilos after that photograph. It, it, yeah. it well, no, that, was, that was meant to say from working with me. It's just a, <laughs> Yeah, that made me lose weight too, absolutely. But I mean, that's people don't know the situation they're in. So actually being confronted with these sorts of measurement mm. tools where they get an idea, a snapshot of their own state of health, that has to be part of the answer, doesn't it? Absolutely. Free Fitbits for everyone. That's what it's required. Absolutely. It's, it's information and uh, how to uh, make it uh, understandable because some people mm. uh, might not do anything with information right so you have to put it in a way that is very understandable that that there's no way that you could miss it and that's what nudge is about right so making it uh, pro- pro- providing of course providing technical information in terms of risks for instance uh, most most lay people would not be able to understand uh, that you know what that means to them right so so i guess that um, there is a lot of work to do from the communications side of things uh, so I guess from from you journalists uh, to translate actually that information in a way to communicate it in a way that people actually uh, get the, the 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 core of it. No? Yeah. So there we are, Johan. Oh. That's that's a message to us. What we're doing today, maybe <laughs> maybe even what we're saying now could help in some way. Certainly helps me think about Hopefully. it. Anyway, Johan, thank you so much for doing that for us uh, and giving us well an idea of how things could and we could all get better. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Tell you one place, Roger, where, and we shouldn't joke about this, but they're not going to be too worried about, you know, their their weight is in Ukraine because they have so much more to worry about. Well, health is a whole different issue and much more to do with flying bits of metal than anything else. Which yeah. Is, of course, and is it just a grim a, reality? And, it, and is it uh, the concern a place that is going to be forgotten about? Is it one of those wars that is just mm. going to go on for so long, drag on so long? So we just had the G20 summit where basically, mm. you know, it, the, uh, the attitude towards Ukraine was somewhat watered down uh, in mm, the rhetoric yeah. there. Uh, yeah, and- they had to, I mean, even the Russians are quite pleased, they said, about the statement that came out, which kind of gives you the impression it wasn't quite what it should have been. Yeah, but, and, and then but are, are we, we, we going to find, for example, yeah. if China starts doing more and more mm. with Russia? I mean, it's already doing quite mm. a bit, and then, you know, North Korea jumps in on the uh, uh, on yeah, it all as well. weapons. Yeah, do we, do we start to say, well, okay, well, this is all getting too complicated now, we want to be able to trade with China, we can't you know, put every, to drop everything mm. at the expense of one country. Do we start to shift our attitude for our own well, personal end? And in, in purely tactical and, and strategic terms, we're at a point where very soon the rain's going to start falling in Ukraine, then the snow, and it's simply going to be impossible to carry on the offensive, to carry on what the Ukrainian forces have been trying to do for months now with all this weaponry they've got from uh, the West, from us, from the Americans and the Germans. Um, then it goes into a sort of stasis. They, they stop doing it. And that point, do we, as you say, begin to, well, be get war fatigue? I mean, it's a ridiculous thing to say, considering what the poor Ukrainians are going through, but that is a definite possibility and one which we really want to explore. How yeah. far has the offensive got? What happens next? Will there be a new launch of this in the early spring? Will that be soon enough for the Western backers? All these questions and very are much Are we losing our patience and will we have a, you know, will it be coming in various countries around the world, like in the United States, for example, 
Uh, I, I mean, imagine, is, is it going to be an issue in the build-up to the next election in the, in the US? It feels like it might be. feels like it might be. Certainly the potential Trump second administration, heaven help us, um, might well take a very different attitude. Yeah. So a lot to talk about, a lot to think about. And that's what we will be talking and thinking about when we come back next week on, on The Why Curve. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Why Curve.